This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Your time is now. Make the most of it. That'd be a pretty good message just in and of itself, wouldn't it? Yeah. Welcome to church. Welcome to uh, 2009. And uh, for those of you who are new to New Life uh, this morning, uh, let me say a personal welcome to you. My name is Ron, and I'll be hanging out in the lobby afterwards if I didn't get a chance to meet you on the way in. I would certainly enjoy doing that on the way out. Um, On the inside of your program, you'll find some uh, sermon notes. And this would be a good time to pull those out and... uh, We'll walk through those together. You know, as I was praying about this particular Sunday, about this particular message, and actually just looking ahead to the coming year, you know, I was struck with a couple of realizations. First of all, looking back on 2008, I was struck with just a a wonderful sense of gratitude. Gratitude first and foremost for the spiritual progress that's been made in so many of our lives, hopefully in all of our lives, but certainly obvious in many of our lives. As I was reading through prayer requests from the last week or two and personal notes and some emails, just amazed at people saying, boy, 2008's been been a very good year for me. I I connected with God for the first time or I reconnected with God uh, for the first time in many, many years. Um, What a great thing. And we're just blessed to get to be part of that wonderful journey in your life. And and virtually every week, uh, people are writing on the cards, you know, um, I want to know how to become a Christian, made the decision to become a Christian. And uh, as I look back at 2008, I'm just so grateful for just the wonderful spiritual progress that God has blessed so many of us with. As I look ahead to 2009, I realize that the greatest thing that could happen in this year, and I know we're all hoping and praying that somehow the economy turns around, and I know that even some of us in the church, uh, you know, are are looking for closure pretty much dead on, Um, and and I pray about those things too. But you know the greatest thing that could happen in 2009 is for us to draw closer to God. And to see our friends and neighbors around us who struggle in life, to see them get connected with God. And by God's grace, 
By the end of this year, there will be people sitting in these chairs whose lives are forever changed that are not sitting there this morning. And uh, so for whatever part you can play in that journey, and I can play in that journey, it'll be the greatest thing that we could do with our time this year. Now, the video that you just saw is actually uh, taken from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, straight from your Bible. And the word that occurs over and over and over again in that passage is the word time. You figured that out. And at the beginning of this year, we're going to talk about time. In fact, you can see from the banners behind me that the title of this new sermon series is Time In. For those of us who are football junkies, this is the best time of the year, right? There's like games everywhere. I, one of the days uh, between Christmas and New Year's was actually five bowl games on the same day. Um, yeah. Well, in every athletic contest, or virtually all of them, there's the opportunity to call a timeout. In fact, if you watched the game last night between, uh, with Indianapolis and San Diego, you saw Tony Dungy running out onto the field trying to get a timeout in the waning moments of the game, recognizing that every moment was precious. And, and he was upset that he lost about 10 seconds because the, the ref didn't see him. In life, however, time's always in. There's no time out in life. In fact, let me give you the first of three different time-in principles that I'll be giving you this morning. The first one is this. We cannot control the flow of time. We can only direct it. I want you to envision with me for the purposes of this service, because we're going to come back to this metaphor over and over again, but I want you to envision with me a large barrel, and the barrel has water in it, but only God knows how much water is in it. It could have a very small amount. It could be almost all the way full. Only God knows how much water is in it. And out of the bottom of the barrel is a hose... And the water is flowing out of the hose, but there's no spigot on the hose. There's no way to turn it off. There's no way to increase the flow. It flows at a steady rate. The water represents time. The barrel represents your life. Only God knows how much time you have, but we all know this. Today, 24 hours will flow from your life. Every hour is going to have 60 minutes. In it, every, every minute's going to have 60 seconds in it. By the end of this year, you will have invested in some way 8,760 hours if God allows you to live the entire year. Here's some depressing news. 2009 is already 1% gone. Did you know that? It's hard to imagine. We just said Happy New Year, right? It's 1% of this year is already gone. And there's no way you can stop it. It just keeps going. That's God's design for life. As someone has once said, time is the stuff of which life is made. And I've prayed in my own life and for your life as well that God would give us in this day a fresh and lasting realization of how precious and valuable time is. But there, there's principle number one. You can't control the flow of time. It's, it's going out at a constant and continual rate, and there's no way to slow it down or speed it up. The second principle is this. 
the events of life will tend to redirect the flow. Now I want you to think about the water that's in this barrel because it was flowing out of your life before you even knew it was flowing out. Somewhere along the line, you became conscious of the, of the passing of time. But you discovered that there's some amazing power in that water. For instance, if you, if you take that water and you put it on flowers, the flowers grow and bloom. If you take that water and you point it in the direction of someone who's parched and dry and thirsty, it refreshes and it brings life and health to them. That The water of your life has amazing power in it. Or you could be like a three-year-old and you can squirt people with it, right? And be a pest. Yeah. Or... You can try to hoard it. Keep it all right here. And make one giant mud puddle at your feet. That makes life miserable even for you. There's amazing power in that water. Because there's amazing power in the time of your life. But the events of life will tend to try to redirect it primarily three ways. Number one, just the events and circumstances of life will tend to distract you away from monitoring where it's going. You ever enter a season of life or be in a season of life and think, I don't need to plan my life. It's all planned for me anyway. From the time I get up in the morning until I go to bed at night, everybody wants my time. Everybody has a claim on my life and my time, especially if you have small children and a wife or a husband, right? Your time's all gone by the, t- by the time you get up. It's already planned out. It's just so easy to get completely distracted from monitoring the time. Or, or, or you, you get busy and, and, and you're doing stuff even that you enjoy. But somewhere along the line you realize, you know, my life is actually out of control. I no longer control it. I no longer really feel like I'm in charge of it or I'm doing with it what I should. The second way that the events and circumstances of life can tend to redirect that flow is we can be enticed or tempted to water things that look like they're fun, but they're actually not. Case in point. Some of us spent a few years watering the local watering hole. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah down at the local bar. And when that wasn't enough, we went to the store and bought it and took it home. And we spent years watering what looked to us to be like fun. But in the end, it became actually destructive to our life because, by the way, you know what we call things like that? They're called sin. And there's all kinds of them. You know, it's just like building a house. There's a hundred ways to do it wrong and kind of only one to do it right. And in life, there's, there's just so many ways in which to do life wrong. And we can get so caught up in, in buying things that we end up destroying our life and end up in the slavery of debt. Or we can get caught up in gossip because we're insecure and wondering what people might think about us. So we feel like if we cut everybody else down to our size, that we'll feel like we're equal to everybody. There's just so many ways, and they all require time. And and we end up, life tends to want to redirect the flow by enticing us to spend our time doing things that on the surface look like fun, but in the end are not. And thirdly, 
life tends to redirect us sometimes by forcing us to water in places we wouldn't choose. You know, there's a significant amount of the events that come into your life over which you have little or no control. December the 19th, 1991. I went out to have a great time teaching myself how to body surf in Hawaii, and I woke up a few hours later in a hospital with a broken neck. Okay? I can't ever go back to my life before I had a broken neck. You know, that circumstance of my life pointed my life in a new direction. So every day of my life, I have to take that into consideration in all the things that I do. It's okay. It's just part of my life. You see, the events of life sometimes force us to water where we wouldn't choose to water. Some of you have lost loved ones. Not that you would choose that. Some of you have gone through miscarriages. You wouldn't choose that. Some of you have gone through divorces. You wouldn't choose that. Some of you have suffered debilitating accidents. You wouldn't choose that. But the events of life can sometimes force us to water where we wouldn't choose. We're going to talk about how to deal with that this morning. So the first principle is I can't really control the rate of flow. It's flowing out at a constant rate. I can only direct it. And secondly, that, that life tends to want to try to point the hose where, sometimes wherever life wants it and sometimes just to entice us away from where it should be pointed. That leads me to a question. And that's the time in question. And that is, is there a purpose to this flow of events and circumstances that comes into my life? Is there a real purpose? Now, look on the front of your cover and, and, and look at the title, or you can just look up at the corner of your notes, actually. And that is, we're going to talk about design today. That there's an actual design for your life And that if you tap into that design, you're going to find purpose in life. That God actually has a purpose for you. And as we start this new year, I want to give you three promises. And and, and they are kind of like umbrella promises that, that, that God intended for you and I to live Every day being fully cognizant of these three promises. And I can assure you, you're going to need to quote these promises to yourself. And you will find yourself quoting these promises to the people around you because they provide the context in which, the only context, by the way, in which life actually makes sense. So you need to understand them. Let's walk through them. Uh, one at a time. Promise number one is this. I am the special creation of my heavenly Father. To me, one of the great disservices that any form of teaching that tries to teach you that you are on this earth by accident, and I don't care kind of what avenue that you have been instructed to believe that you are here by accident, that somehow that you were the result of a cosmic explosion out there in space somewhere, or, or whatever else it might be. Anything that teaches you that there is no special design for your life, that you are merely an accident, robs you of the very foundation of purpose. Because, listen to me, purpose is not something you bring to life. 
Purpose is something God's already brought to your life that you need to ask Him to reveal and uncover for you. Huge, huge difference between those two things. The Bible very clearly teaches that you and I are the special creation of God. David, the the most famous king of Israel, wrote this about himself. God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. That's kind of an interesting thought, isn't it? I'm not sure everybody around us likes us that we're that interestingly complex, but we are. Your workmanship is marvelous how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me. David is saying, God, there's nothing in that tank that you didn't know about. We're going to come back to that principle later. But even from birth, God knew every single drop of water in the tank and how much water was in the tank. And David said, God, you, 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 I am your special creation. And really not just me. All of us are. Peter would take pen in hand later and he would write this. He would say, God has given each of you a gift from His great variety of spiritual gifts. That means that gift was hand-chosen, personally chosen for you by God. He goes on to say, now use them well to serve one another. In other words, take that time that's flowing out of your life and use it to serve one another and the special gifts and talents that God has given you so that your life has purpose in it and meaning in it. Yeah, that's... That's exactly how God has designed us. You see, the tank may look the same because life kind of looks the same. But you know, the rate of flow is the same. But there's a unique design to every hose. Every single one of us has a unique design. And a very, very personally chosen way that God is going to express His life through us if we get on board with it. And it's when my life expresses God's purpose in a powerful way that I become fulfilled in this life. But if my only purpose in this life (laughs) is to make life easy and fun for me and to try to get as many people jealous of me as I possibly can, you know, in the end, that's not much of a life. I know, I know it plays well on MTV, but it's not much of a life to live. Because the happiest people on this earth are not people that everybody looks at. They are people who spend their life in an eternal purpose serving others. Ah, it's finding that purpose. So that's what God says. Number one, I want you to understand, you are my special creation. As one songwriter has put it, the fingerprints of God are all over you. Some of you have on your refrigerator at home, if your children are young enough, you have, you have a, a, a piece of construction paper and on the middle of it is a child's hand, right? And you know that that's the only hand in the world that looks like that. 
because that's your child's hand and it was dipped in paint and it was put on that piece of paper. Or you have a plaster of Paris plaque stuck somewhere in a box, right? And it's impressed in that wet plaster of Paris was your child's hand. And you recognize that that's the only hand in the world like that. Well, guess what? You are. In your life, you have the fingerprint of God. You're His special creation. Promise number two is this. My Heavenly Father will work to bring good out of every event in my life. Those of you who have hung around church for a few years recognize that that's kind of the rewording of of one of the most famous passages in the Bible. And here it is in Romans chapter 8. It says, We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Now I want you to be aware of what that passage doesn't say before I tell you what it does say. It does not say that God causes everything that happens in your life. That's not true. In fact, I'm going to give you an illustration in a minute that, that's very obvious that God doesn't. But it does say God causes everything to work together for good. Now, God wants you to know, regardless of what comes into your life, that God's going to use it in ways that will produce blessing in your life and blessing in the lives of those around you. Let me tell you a little story that we'll refer back to several times as I complete this message. It's the story of a guy in the Bible whose name was Joseph. Joseph was born into a very large family. He had, when most of the story was taking place, he had ten brothers, although he ended up with an eleventh brother later. But he had ten brothers, and Joseph was the favorite of his father. And as you might guess, in any home where parents play favorites, it doesn't bode well for the kids. So all ten of his brothers hated him. By the way, you think dysfunctional families are a part of modern society. Well, guess what? This family was so dysfunctional that the ten brothers decided they had a meeting and they couldn't decide whether to kill their brother or just torture him. You know how dysfunctional that is? That's pretty sad, right? That makes all of our homes look pretty normal, right? Of course. Yeah. Well, they finally decided they would throw him in a well... And, and, and they would just torment him, but, but oh, an amazing opportunity came by. It was a caravan of slave traders. I thought, perfect! We'll sell him into slavery. And they did. And it wasn't just local slavery. They sold him into slavery in a foreign country. So Joseph was loaded onto the wagons, and he was taken to the country of Egypt, where he didn't even speak the language. Can you imagine that? Being a slave in a country where you don't even speak the language. He was bought by a fellow by the name of Potiphar, who happened to be an officer of Pharaoh, the, who was the king of Egypt. And, and Potiphar took him home and put him to work, and Joseph worked hard. And Potiphar began to notice that Joseph was actually working harder and was a better slave than any of his other slaves. So he promoted him and, and kind of made him foreman for a while. And, and then he promoted him above that. And eventually, Potiphar... The Bible says, put Joseph in charge of everything he owned. He was in charge of all of his investments. He was in charge of his entire household. He was in charge of all the servants. He was in charge of of all the cattle, all the horses. He was in charge of everything that Potiphar owned. Even so much that Potiphar said... he just came home and knew that there was food on the table and it tasted good. And every time he looked at a P&L statement, it looked better. 
Life was great. Until one day, Mrs. Potiphar looked at Joseph, and then she looked at her husband, and she said, Joseph is a hunk. And my husband, hmm, maybe he used to be. And she tried to get Joseph to sleep with her, and Joseph wouldn't do it. So she made up a lie about him, and Potiphar was forced to choose between his wife and his best servant. And he was a smart dude. He figured I was married to his wife. So he believed her, and he had Joseph thrown in prison. And it was starting all over again. But Joseph was a great prisoner. And the warden began to notice that wherever Joseph went, the prisoners behaved better. And there was a better spirit in that place. He was a breath of fresh air in that place. And so the warden began to to give Joseph jobs until eventually the warden made Joseph in charge of the whole prison. Wouldn't you love to have a prisoner like that? You just take every day off and let him run the joint. And that's exactly what he did. Joseph ran the joint one day. The, the king had a dream and he couldn't figure out how to interpret. No one could. And someone said, hey, you know, there's a guy down there in prison who interprets dreams. Pharaoh said, bring him up. And Pharaoh told him the dream. And Joseph said, here's your interpretation. There's going to be seven years of tremendous harvest, followed by seven years of tremendous famine. And the king said, wow, what should we do? Joseph said, you need to find a guy that you trust. You need to put him in charge of the land and let him buy up 20% of all the grain for the next seven years and put it in granaries so that when the seven years of famine come, that food can be doled back out to the people and the nation won't starve. And Pharaoh took Joseph and put him in charge of all that and he became second in the land only to Pharaoh. Interesting story. I want you to read what Joseph said because eventually his brothers were hungry and they came down to Egypt to buy food and when they figured out who Joseph was, they were scared to death. Now notice what Joseph said. Don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? By the way, would you underline those three words, am I God? Those might be good for you to say to yourself once in a while. When you think you know how life should be and you think you've been really unfairly treated, just remember you're not God, and, it, and if you were viewing it from God's vantage point, it, it wouldn't all be quite so clear and rosy as you think it should be. Am I God that I should punish you? You intended to harm me. Now, by the way, would you think God was at the heart of motivating Joseph's brothers to hate him to the point they would sell him into slavery? Friends, God doesn't do that to anybody. God's not on board with any kind of slavery. Nor would he ever motivate anyone to hate other people. No. Those thoughts and those actions did not have their origin in heaven. They had their origin in hell. However, Joseph said, but God intended it all for good. In other words, Joseph is saying, okay, the circumstances of life, not by my own choosing and certainly not by God's, took the hose of my life and pointed it over here. But you know what? God was still there. And God promised to bring good out of it. And guess what, guys? He has and He is. That's a really Really, really important concept for us to get. 
I want to talk with you for just a minute about two words, the word cause and the word use. Don't ever assume that everything that comes into your life is there because God chose it for you. That's, that's actually, look at Joseph's life. God didn't choose that for him, but he used it. God knew it was coming. And so God used it for Joseph's good and the good of the nation of Egypt and actually for the preservation of Joseph's own family. There are many things that come into your life that God is not the author of. But if you trust Him with that, whatever it is, God said, I will bring blessing out of that. In my notes, I wrote this thing, unexpected beauty. Because it's there. The unexpected beauty, it's all there. And in fact, if, if we will water sometimes where God directs or, or life directs the hose, we'll find beauty in places we would never have watered to begin with. But I want you, I want you to see very clearly the two choices that we have. When the circumstances of my life take my hose from over here where I want it, and my time and my life from over here, and it points it over here, and I really have no control to get back here. I'm stuck here now. I have two and only two choices. I can look for the seeds, the flower seeds, and water them. And I can look for the people who are parched and dry and refresh them. And I can look for ways to bless whatever's happening over here. And if I don't, listen, I will turn the water in my tank to poison. You know any bitter people? That no matter where their life goes, they're just a curse. They're not the people you invited to your house for New Year's Eve, right? We all know bitter Bettys, right? In a, no offense, ladies, okay? We all know people that are just poison. And they're poisoned because they're captured somewhere back in here. I'm thinking of, I was just visiting with a lady the other day and she said, Ron, do you know something? She goes, you know those two girls? Their mother has been dead for 25 years and neither one of them has ever moved beyond it. Now I know those ladies and I know that neither one of them, could you could count all of their friends together on less than one hand. So I love them. It's just the sad reality of their life. Instead of watering where the... Ho- yes, their mother died young. Their mother died when she was, I think, 48. And they were just in their early 20s. Yeah, I know that's not easy. But the deal is, <laughs> this is where the hose gets pointed. you got two choices. Find the good there and water it and bring it to life. Or, or in the pro- if you don't do that, you turn the water in your tank to poison and no matter where you put it, it kills whatever gets on. That's why God says, I want you to understand this promise. If you will trust me with it, I will bring purpose and good purpose to it. Even as I was working on this sermon, I realized that there are times in my life, and I'm sure that there are in many of yours, when I know I'm the special creation of God, 
And I, and I really believe that God's going to work good out of everything that comes into my life. But I kind of wonder why he's not doing it now. It seems like, well, okay, God, well, where are you? I'm here. I'm trusting. I'm waiting. But I, I, can't, I can't see anything good that's come out of this. That's when you and I need the third promise. Let me give it to you. It's one of the most often quoted promises in the Bible. It's found in there about a half a dozen times in different places. My heavenly Father will not abandon or forsake me. Hebrews chapter 13 says it like this. God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? The truth is, many times in life, the injustices that you and I experience oftentimes are not at the result of our own stupid choices. Sometimes they're the result of very bad choices that other people have made in our world. Witness Joseph's brothers. What took place in his life wasn't the result of dumb choices that Joseph made. It was the hatred of his own brothers. And I'm sure that when he was, in, when he was sold into slavery, at first he must have thought, where is God? And then as he worked his way up through Potiphar's household, he must have thought, there is a God after all. And then he gets thrown into prison, and what's he going to ask? Maybe not. You understand? It was that emotional roller coaster that you and I go through in life. Maybe not to the, to the proportions that Joseph went through, but we still go through it. Now here's the danger. The danger is that somewhere along the way, we will feel like God's not here. And we will draw one of two conclusions. Number one, either that God doesn't care you know, sort of like Nietzsche who said, God's dead. Or at best, he doesn't care. Or number two, that God's abusive. That he's cruel by nature. And that he loves to see people wince. And he sits in heaven and waits for us to step out of order. Because the truth is, friend, you and I are keenly aware of how often we fall short of where we should be. Therefore, when something tough comes into our life, we don't have to look far to look for a reason why we might deserve that, right? Except when we compare our life to other people's lives and we think, I'm better than him and he didn't get it. Hmm. Now here's the truth. We are far more likely to give up on God than he is to give up on us. See, we just give up too quickly. And, and it's not that God's abandoned us. We just abandoned God midstream. And we think, okay, God, I not only know what I want you to do, I know when I want you to do it. And yet that's in complete contradiction to a song we just sang that was all about waiting on the Lord and waiting for Him. Because for reasons known only to God, you know how we are, we would rescue ourselves immediately every time, right? Of course. 
But that's, that's not how life is wired up. And there are many other factors that get factored into that deal by God. So how does this work for us? Well, write these two words down in the margin. Unexpected and unexplained. Those are the things that really challenge us. When life takes me, and not because of any choice that I have made, and all of a sudden I'm forced to water in a different place, and I I didn't expect it, and it's not even explained to me. By the way, not until Joseph got all the way to the end of his life did he ever even understand any of what may have taken place before that. Did God appear to Joseph when he was first sold into slavery and say, hey, hey, Joe, hang in there, dude, I'm with you. Trust me, I'm going to make this work out good. No. It was not expected, nor was it ever explained. And then when Joseph was taken from this high position in Potiphar's family and sold into slavery, did God show up in prison and say, hey, trust me, i still got a plan. I can make this work out good too. No. It was unexpected, unexplained. And I know that for many of us, we have unexpected things in our life and they're unexplained and we don't see any good in them at all. During those times, during those seasons, and at those moments when you and I are most in despair because we are most confused or disappointed or both, there's a promise that God wants to give us. I want you to hear it. In the words of the song, they are the same words as this promise. And that is, you and I need to know we're not alone. I'm sure Joseph had to tell himself that many times. So we close, I want to give you the last time in principle and then illustrate it one more time. And here it is. God's design for my life enables me to make the world a significantly better place. No matter what comes into your life, God's going to give you the ability to take that and use it in a way that actually makes the world a better place. I want you to think with me for just a minute about Joseph. He starts out, he's a favorite son of his father. Joseph tries to bless his dad. He gets sold into slavery, goes to Potiphar's house. No, he didn't deserve it. No, it wasn't fair, but he decided to bless Potiphar, by working hard and to bless the fellow servants around him by working in cooperation with them. And then he got promoted and instead of being, you know, kind of a tyrant ruler, he became a, ben- a, a very benevolent ruler and, and in, in that household and got promoted again and again. And everywhere Joseph went, he blessed the servants and he blessed Potiphar and he blessed Potiphar's household until eventually he was over the whole thing. And then he gets thrown in prison and it's starting all over again. But Joseph blesses the prisoners around him and and eventually he starts moving up the ladder. And once again, instead of being a tyrannical ruler, he's a a wonderful ruler and boss down there in prison. Eventually gets put over the whole prison and then eventually gets taken up to Pharaoh's house and he blesses Pharaoh and he blesses the country of Egypt and eventually blesses his own family. See, no matter where the events or the circumstances of life directed the flow of his time, Joseph found the good and watered it there. Now that's the choice 
that God gives you and me. And that's the wonder of His promise. So as we go through this year, I want to challenge you and I want to encourage you to embrace whatever life brings your way. And trust God with it. Even if it's a difficult thing to embrace, and even if it's a difficult thing to trust God with it, embrace it fully. It is your life. Trust God with it fully. Because as you do, He will give you the ability and the opportunity to bring beauty where there was no beauty before. Father, would you help us to seize this year? Not in a sort of controlling manner. God, would you help us to take the choices that we can make and aim our life in good directions And then, Lord, would you help us to take the choices that are made for us and to find the good where they they end up taking us so that wherever we are, we might be a blessing so that we might find the purpose you have brought to our life. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.